Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk, everyone. You know, today we are talking to the most important caregiver in dialysis, hands down, and that is the patient care technician. I can tell you in my 13 years of dialysis, many of them, you know, I was at home, um, but when I had to go in center, uh, they were my lifeline. I mean, I credit technicians for teaching me how to uh, pass the time, recommending apps to play on my phone, and in addition to caring for me, to also giving me that support that I so needed during difficult times, especially, you know, when you're not feeling your best. So today I'm speaking to John D. Larson. He's a lead patient care technician at Fresenius Kidney Care in Vigo County, Indiana. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you very much. Well, I have to say, um, we don't often give our patient care technicians enough credit for all they do, but just to let you know, and all the other technicians, if you're listening, and patients, if you're listening, you know, we appreciate you, and, you know, make sure you tell your technician this, because it's a difficult job, but it's so worthy. So, uh, John, tell us a little bit about what made you decide to become a patient care technician. Well, uh, that's a very good question. So when I first got started in it, uh, my background was entirely different. It was not in healthcare at all. My background was construction technology. In fact, I went to Indiana State University. Then I became a journeyman carpenter, and then I had my own business. So with that said, that comes with a high cost called benefits. So I went to work at a local hospital, working as a nursing assistant in the evening. So I did my construction during the day and worked at the hospital in the evenings. Well, a few years later, I was a nurse that I knew came up to me. In fact, I was at a spaghetti dinner and asked me, she goes, would you be interested in working dialysis? I said, oh, you know I'm not a nurse, don't you? She goes, oh, no, well, I know that. She goes, you don't need to be. So uh, I said, well, why would you ask me? I don't know anything about dialysis. Well, she knew I had a lot of code experience and knew I had a lot of machines. I had a certification in machinery. She goes, I think you'd be a good fit. So I uh, applied. I got the position. 30 years later, I'm still working this position and uh, loved every minute of it. Wow. Well, you know, I have to say, I want to see your your bandage work. Because if you worked in construction, I bet that when you wrap that arm with tape, it it looks pretty even, right? Am I correct? Is it a nice job? (laughs) No, you you are correct. Uh, I am very particular. I would want the bandages to look just perfect when they go home. I think, you know, making an effort to pay attention to the little details is important. And so lucky that we've had you for 30 years and, and many more. Um, so tell a little bit about what does a patient care technician do? Oh, boy. That is, uh, I say we wear many hats is how I like to de- describe it. And it's, uh, not only are you a water room expert, I always like to describe the water room as like a laboratory. Uh, but you, one becomes a, a water room expert. You get the machines ready for the patients uh, for the day. And you start, depending, you know, what you're assigned to, it could be a four-to-one ratio. It could be a five-to-one ratio. And 
And so, you know, with that said, we start working with the patients, getting them on, on the shifts early morning and running them for their, whether it be three and a half, four and a half hour treatment. And that's, you know, that's in a nutshell what we do. But uh, again, many hats. We may be doing uh, labs, you know, to, you know, packages and labs up and making sure our patients have the right lab sent in because we want to have the best lab values. Right. So it goes back to trying to make sure we run the best treatment for them, educating them, you know, so uh, on fluid restrictions, for example, um, access uh, care, you know, taking care of their access. And so it goes back to the labs, having good labs and, or maybe auditing, making sure everything is up to date within the clinic, uh, vascular access management, Many, many hats that uh, one wears as a dialysis technician, and that's probably in a, in a nutshell. And you also, like, set up the machines and help get the patient ready to put them on dialysis, because that's where, that, that's what was my, you know, pet peeve of any person who approached me to do that, if they weren't smiling. I swear, if they approach me and are grumpy, wouldn't you agree? Like, um, hello, I'm scared now if you look like you've had a bad day. <laughs> right. Uh, because, you know, when uh, when the patients are, are sitting there in that chair waiting on you, you know, the patients are observing you. It's kind of like being on stage. And the patients know uh, if you're having a bad day. Right. They know if uh, you had an argument with your spouse because they hear everything. Uh, eyes may be closed, but they're hearing. <laughs> and so if I'm walking up to them and I have that grouchy look and they say, I heard you had an wa- uh, argument with uh, your spouse, they're going to be thinking, is he going to take it out on me? <laughs> so no, you're, you are very correct on that. One always needs to have a smile, a welcoming smile. Right. Not a parade smile <laughs> or a parade wave. <laughs> yeah, not not a Stepford wife smile like, oh, my God, what are they thinking? Um, it's so true because um, I don't know if for sure, but I know it to be true, <laughs> is that when you're um, on dialysis, your, your hearing improves. <laughs> Because <laughs> you can hear, like, in, in the acoustics of a dialysis unit are set up to hear everything, too. So, um, I mean, I could hear, you know, people talking at the nurse's station. That's why I'm like, ah, you know, well, keep your keep your conversations positive. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but you're so right. I mean, it's, you know, patient care technicians are the front line to care for people. And we really do pick up all of your energy. So, uh, so what is a typical day like for you? So you, you, what time do you even get into dialysis? I'm sure it's early, right? Oh my gosh. Let's see. Uh, I, you know what? I still wake up at three o'clock every morning. Uh, I just had a habit and, uh, and in the clinic, usually by four, Wow. And uh, even on a day off, I'm waking up at three. You know, I don't don't even need an alarm. But usually in a clinic by four, and uh, start and I'm preparing the water room. You know, getting that ready because we want to make sure that water is just as close to perfect as we can get it. You know, the uh, the concept of dialysis has not changed, but the technology is above and beyond now. So that's what I would do: get you know things started, and then go right to the machines and start stringing the machines. Uh, you know, to, uh, calibrating uh, what we call Phoenix meters to make sure that our machines are on good conductivity and good pH. So very, very busy work. 
it's a real life video game. Um, you you have to have precision, right? <laughs> well, exactly. Yes. I think people aren't aware. You know, the water is everything. Because if that's not right, um, you know, you get sick. Um, you can right. even die. I mean, there have been some water contaminations I've heard about in my lifetime of, of working in this industry. And, you know, we seem to forget all the times that things go right. <laughs> so I appreciate you taking that extra effort to make sure everything goes right, because I don't hear about hardly ever any problems with water. And that is a tribute to the technology, a um, lot better monitoring systems now. Yes, very much. So what is the, the, some of the struggles that, you know, you see that patients, you know, face when they come to dialysis and, and how do you help ease them? You know, there's, there's a lot of struggles with that. Uh, you know, especially, let's go back a little bit. You know, when a patient is brand new in a clinic, that could very much be a struggle right there because they don't know what to expect. You know, the hospital, while they're in the hospital, a lot of times the, a patient is oblivious to what's being said because so much information is coming at them. So once they step into the dialysis clinic, I think the biggest struggle is when they say something like, uh, um, how, how long do I have to do this? So this will be my only treatment. And then as a PCT, I've had to come many a times Say, you know, let them know that, no, this is, you know, your chronic patient now. And with that said, you will be here continuously until possibly you can get a transplant. And then, uh, so it's that education that sometimes becomes a struggle. And, you know, that's constant education with the patients. What can we do to make their treatments easier for them? Um, so that's something I always enjoy doing, too, is sitting down with them just to ease their minds, you know, giving them that welcoming. Uh, like, you know, when somebody comes into your house, you want them to feel welcome. Right. And that's how we are with the, in the clinics. You know, when they come into our lobby, we're right there to greet them and let them know, you know, where we're happy to, that they're with our clinic and we're going to do everything we can to make their, their treatments relaxing and, you know, just to help them you go forward in life in a healthier way. It's it's challenging. I'm trying to, I don't even have words, but it is very challenging to walk into a dialysis unit and know that you need a life support system to continue breathing. Exactly. <laughs> it is mentally challenging. And I cannot tell you if you go to a unit and you feel that the unit is happy and your technician um, it just makes it so much easier because you're going, I mean, it be, became a family to me, I swear. I'm like, I had more um, renal care professionals at my wedding than my own family um, because you spend so much time with the people you care for. Um, and, you know, I love the fact that you, you know, reemphasize education because um, I often hear from, from my peers that they didn't learn something, but I, I pretty much know that they heard about it because I've even actually witnessed a patient hear about something and then they don't remember. And what's really important for people to understand is if you are in the shock denial stage of an illness, you don't really retain information. And the stages of, of emotions are shock, denial, fear, anger, depression, grief, and then finally understanding and acceptance. And if you're in the shock denial phase, you can't really take stuff in. And if you're in the fear-anger phase, 
you know, I mean, and, and I'm sure you've met some patients who are in the fear anger phase and you're challenging, but you're, you're a little bit combative. You're, you're you know, you got your guard up. And, right. and so you have to move on the stages to really fully, you know, get a handle of this illness. And it's just a process. I mean, I tell patients all the time, you know, you're angry. Good. <laughs> That'll help you motivate yourself to do something. I mean, I used my anger. So uh, have you experienced that with some of your patients? I have. Yes. And I found the best way, you know, especially after the welcoming, you know, or maybe they may be coming in on their second or third treatment. Uh, some of that anger is coming out. So the best way I have found to work with them on that is uh, get a little rolling stool, sit down next to them, and just listen to them. And that way you're at eye-to-eye level because they're laying back in their chair and then no one likes to be looked down upon. So get a stool, roll up to the patient, and just listen to them. Right. Because they have legitimate complaints, legitimate concerns. You know, that being chronically sick is not easy for the healthy person to understand. It's very easy for a healthy person to tell you what you should do, what you shouldn't do. And so if you listen with an open mind, absorb it, and think, what can we do to, to help them? And it's the, the biggest thing is, the, is communication. Right. Good communication and listening, you know, with an open mind. And sometimes you just can't go by what the script says. Uh, for example, if, if it says, Lori says she feels this way, answer, John, answer this way. You answer with a negative response so they get a reaction of, to, you know, to kind of get a reaction, if that makes sense. You know, but no, you can't go by anything scripted. You have to go from the heart right. and show empathy. Empathy will take you a long ways. Um, empathy isn't, uh, doesn't come natural in some people. And that's what makes this job, I don't call it a job. I call it a, a position, a position of passion. And when you have a position of passion, the empathy is built in. It is. And, you know, it's so important when, you know, somebody's in crisis is I just say, you know, I'm so sorry you have to go through this. That's That, that, that can be the most healing statement or, you know, I, you know, things are going to get better. Keep coming back. You're, you know, tomorrow's a new day, you know, all these little things that just, you know, we have that committee in our head that just tells us all this crazy stuff when we're not feeling good. And it, it's, it, it, it's taking free rent in our head. That's what I'm like. It's, t- my committee is taking free rent and I gotta, I gotta evict it. <laughs> So, you know, what, what is like your main thing that you think people on dialysis need to do to have a good outcome? That goes back to our education, you know, as, and okay, this is something I like to do whenever I'm training a new hire. I I have them write down their most favorite foods, uh, their most favorite restaurants, their most favorite drinks, and then remind them our patients can't have their most favorite drinks anymore. They can't have their most favorite foods. Uh, they can't go out like they once did because, you know, of being on dialysis. And that gives a reality check to our new hires, but it also helps them educate our patients. So education is a huge deal. For example, uh, they come in, oh, and they're about uh, five kilograms over their dry weight. Well, as you know, you know, that's going to be harsh on the body and the heart. So um, 
you kind of educate them. You know, you will feel much better if we can cut back a little bit. Do it in baby steps. Yes, quit eating so much salt. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, uh, well, it's watermelon season. I love watermelons or tomatoes, the potassium. You know, mm-hmm. you can always tell what time of year it is by their laps. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's a very much a giveaway right there. But don't give up on the education. Is the... Uh, Oh, if they're on treatment three and a half hours and you educated them maybe 10 minutes out of that three and a half hours, are they going to retain everything? No, you've got to keep repetition. You know, you get a pattern with your patients. Your pattern becomes repetition, and then you just build it from there. You know, each treatment, hey, I noticed, you know, I was looking at your lab. You've been hitting the tomatoes again, haven't you? (laughs) But not in a a condescending way. No one wants to be spoken down to. You do it as, gosh, you know, I can understand when, uh, uh, like, I I always like to use myself as an example, or uh, although I was never on dialysis, uh, but I like to use myself as an example. Like, if I want to lose weight, I kind of, you know, do the Santa Claus thing. Well, there's a belly here. I, I earned this, but I really need to start, you know, losing a little bit of weight. And maybe you can help me, too. You know, how do you keep fluid off you? Have the patient respond back to you, and that helps quite a bit because they're giving you advice instead of you giving them advice. Well, you know what? I'm going to give you a master's in communication from the School of Hard Knocks um, because, you know, you just did such an advanced communication technique because you're making the patient feel valued. And yeah. we need to feel valued to be able to get up and do all the crap we have to do every year. Uh, every day. <laughs> and 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 home is not always, we don't always get it from that. You know, people are angry that we're on dialysis. Who knows? You know, if families are families and, you know, you, you, you many can't handle a Thanksgiving without a, a, a punch up. So um, I, I think it's important to just remember that. And, and it's valuing each other because, uh, you know, you're not, you don't have a job if it isn't for the patients and the patients need you to live. <laughs> Right. You know, I wanted to just pop back to the topic of an angry patient. And, you know, I've I've spoken at meetings and people are like, the patients are angry. And I'm like, good. <laughs> because the ones who sit there are like, I'm fine. You know, they don't they don't fight for survival. I mean, it, you know, you can't like be uh, physically violent. But if somebody is angry, um, it's because the emotions are so great, they don't know how to handle them. And how do you deal with that? You know, we've, we've had some patients like that. Um, and, uh, and it depends, you know, also, uh, I'm a strong believer, you know, in, in religion. And uh, so um, I would always say in a, in a biblical sense, God wants you to yell at him. Because if you yell at him, you're giving attention to him. He's re- you're reaching out for help. And so that's what we're here for. We're here. I'm glad you're yelling because we're here to help you. We want to make things better for you. It goes back to the idea, once again, uh, communication. Listen to them. Let them get their frustrations out. And when they say, you don't know what it's like to sit here. No, I don't know what it's like to sit here. But it goes back again to when I precepted people, I would have them sit in a wheelchair on purpose for a half hour and have their arms taped down to the wheelchair so they can get an idea. And that's not giving them the total reality of it, but it's giving them an idea of somewhat of what the patient is going through, just a percentage. 
Right. But they can learn they learn to deal with that anger a little better. <laughs> well, did you put some ice packs on them too? Um because it's cold. <laughs> no, 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 no. We'll do that next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that might be a good addition. Um and then put some T V show you hate in front of them. Um, because if you well, I think now you have more personalized TVs, but in the past we'd have to watch what everybody else watched and you know, that wasn't always yeah. fun and so uh, but luckily we're all going to have our own tablet with internet access so that that's kind of gone uh you know what is a question that you wish more more patients would ask what would be the best option for me because uh, so many times patients are told what the you know the best route they should go one of a he's a good friend of mine uh in fact he he has been a dialysis patient has had a transplant, and he speaks for our company now, in fact. But he said when he first started, you know, in the clinics, he said he was pretty angry. He said, and uh, he said, it was always cold in there. And he goes, he got tired of hearing, you know, the stories of what the staff did over the weekend. He said it was the idea of a nurse came up to him one day or a PCT and told him about the options. You could have different options. He goes, you mean I could do this at home? She said, yes. And he started doing the home hemodialysis. From there, he started improving because he was able to manage himself then. He was in charge of himself. So I think is when a patient asks, you know, what can I do to help myself? That's huge right there. Right. Uh, they've, they've gotten past that anger and they're looking to want to help themselves. And I usually see much improvement from that point. Well, and that, you know, when you get to the place where you want to help yourself, you're more an acceptance place and you can like, okay, here's the issues and I got to move forward. I, I got to, you know, I have kidney failure at two. So, uh, um, you know, it's, it's a little different when you're growing up as a pediatric, I think, as opposed to just being diagnosed and being healthy your whole life. There's challenges both ways. Um, well, you know, what um, what do you do when a patient says, you know, I want so-and-so to stick me? <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm knocking on wood right now. That, believe it or not, has never happened to me. I'm one of the very, I'm lucky, how I'll put it. Um, when I was being trained, back then when I was being trained, they didn't have the classes and stuff they have now. You were put on the floor and you learned. Luckily, some of the patients remembered me from the hospital. They remembered my face. And so that, that was kind of like a welcoming uh, sign there. And when they said, uh, can John stick you today or can you let you? It was, yeah, I'll give him a chance. I was just so lucky on that part. But now, and that's with an exclamation mark, but when I precepted people, that was a major problem there when, uh, no, I don't, this, they would usually hear the word newbie. Right. I don't want that newbie <laughs> sticking me. I said, well, uh, I trained this person, and I'll tell you what, I will stand right here, and if they have any problems, I'll be their backup. And that was the comfort zone. Yeah, that would help them. Right. Uh, but yeah, I did hear that many times over, and it's getting past that. They just have patients have to get used to seeing you and seeing the confidence in your face. If the confidence isn't in your face, if you have that scared look, you know it's going to a lot of times frighten them off. So I used to tell the when I was precepting, I would say, whatever you do, don't look at their face when you're cannulating them because as soon as you see the grimace, you're going to say, oh no, I can't do that. You know, I said. 
remember, that's their lifeline. You're doing everything I taught you to do. Focus on that, and you'll have it. So it's just a relaxation, a, a confidence that they build. But yeah, that was the best way I could do it. Or I'd put my hand on top of their hand as they're cannulating. So that made the patient feel comfortable too. Yes, it is because it's, you know, when you have anxiety, you tense up and it's harder to have any procedure done. Um, So, uh, you know, that's a great technique because it is never fun to have a new person stick you, but, you know, there's a growing population and we need healthcare professionals. So we, we have to, we, we have to have and invite new people. And there's a technician shortage right now. And maybe you could just kind of recap the steps of, you know, what training is like today. Um, uh, how long do you go to school for or to a class before you can be on the floor? What the company I work for, we have a three-month window of training. And I'm a big part of that ed- of the education. I help our education a, a lot on that. So the the first week we always call the honeymoon period because you know, uh, and this is the funny part. It's not, um, first, we had a new hire day yesterday. In fact, the first day a new hire, you see smiles on the faces. You you see people. Wow, I've got a new career. I'm excited about this. So you go to the next week, you see uh, lots of different faces because. Wow, I didn't know there was so much to learn. Because I like to say that our education is pretty much equivalent to college courses. Mm-hmm. Then you get the third week. That's like the oh my gosh week because <laughs> they're learning initiation of treatment, discontinuation of treatment, and cannulation all in one week. The honeymoon's over. So uh, I follow up with them and I ask them how they're doing and let them know you're not alone. Right. You know, uh, we're here to reinforce. We're here to make you successful. I think our biggest thing is we we don't want to see anyone fail in this, but we want to see people successful. If you're successful, that patient's going to be successful. So at the end of their 12 weeks, a lot of still a lot of fuzzy headedness there. We do a competency test and we uh, skills check them off with an educator. And again, we are with them constantly, really pretty much checking on them every other week. Patients continue to feel confident knowing that, you know, we're getting a good education. Uh, The education that we have is just so important. And I think our patients really appreciate that. They're they're happy, you know, we're just not thrown out onto the floor. Even though the school of hard knocks of being thrown on the floor was probably a good education, it wasn't always the best education. So I really appreciate what we have now. So I had three months of lots of learning. I always like to say, especially when I'm interviewing a candidate, I like to say it's a, like a jigsaw puzzle being thrown out in front of you. And all those pieces don't make any sense. But little by little, as you separate the colors for that puzzle and you see the shapes and sizes, it starts coming together like a puzzle. And at the end of that 12 weeks, it's starting to become an aha moment. Now I got it. Yes, it's um, it's just like anything because you know you 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 get involved in something and then you're really excited and then you know it's it's work. You have to learn, but then it becomes second nature and become a pro like you. I mean, and and you get to a point where you could do this in your sleep almost. I bet you, right? <laughs> or do you sleep? You get up at three o'clock in the morning. What time do you go to bed? 
Oh gosh, you know, uh, not early enough, but uh, I I think the older I get, you know, the less sleep I need too. Oh well, the, you know, I've heard of that. I'm only about seven hours a night, but I go to bed like midnight. Like so, I'm just going to bed when you're getting up. Um, uh, I'm in Los Angeles, so uh, it's about right. You know. It, it, there's a staffing shortage. So if you're thinking about being a technician, you can you can message us. We can then send you off to, uh, you know, get some information. Also, um, you know, ask your clinic. Tell your friends and family, you know, hey, you're looking for a career choice. We need guerrilla marketing because there's a staffing shortage and we need to get more technicians and healthcare professionals in the field. So there's my little PSA. Uh, would, anything to add to that, John? You know, that's, uh, I like that. I guess I would ask them questions to ask oneself, such as, for example, uh, I said in a lot of interviews, as I stated earlier, and the number one candidate says, I love people. I love working with people. I want them to articulate to me the whys of what makes them want to work with people. In fact, this is something I do. I use the keyword convince. I'll say convince me why you want to make dialysis your career. And then the biggest thing I'm looking for is empathy, the caring, the drive, the accountability, the responsibility. So I'm asking them a lot of indirect questions that tells me about that. So if one could look in the mirror, ask oneself, you know, do I have the empathy? Do I have that accountability? Can I be responsible for that patient? Because what do we, you know? We're saving lives every day. How rewarding is that? When somebody asks me, "What do you do for a living?" I say, "Save lives every day." Wow, what a career! How what is more rewarding? Give you kind of a quick story. Uh, well, I promise it won't take but a few seconds. <laughs> and that was, you know, uh, we don't do as much CPR as we used to back in the old days because the technology is, is just so much better than what it once was. But when you have to do it because it does happen some, from time to time. And that patient, it comes back. It's like a emotional, overwhelming, emotional feeling of, wow, I saved someone's life. In fact, to the point where it brings tears to your eyes. You know, if that happens, you know, and you, you know, you had that empathy. It's, it's, you know, empathy is sometimes underrated because I can tell immediately when people are empathetic to my situation. And, you know, when you have a chronic illness for a long time, you know, people seem to just kind of forget that you may be struggling. Oh, they've always had that issue. You know, no, it, it never gets new. It never gets like, oh, I've dealt with this. We still are dealing with obstacles and we get up every day and fight. But uh, just to assume that we don't need empathy because we've been doing this a long time, <laughs> I think it's the opposite. We need more. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, we do. And yes, it's, uh, you know, and another thing too with uh, staffing shortage, since I've been in dialysis, you know, we've been short staffed ever since I've been in dialysis, not to the extent that it is today, but I think it's because it is such a specialty. And then once you learn this position, you can go anywhere in the world. And we are a worldwide company. We have, you know, uh, we still have clinics in Ukraine still in operation because they send us pictures. Wow. And you talk about uh, dedication, responsibility, uh, leadership there. You know, there's still operations saving patients over there every day. And 
you know, when when you have that, when it's in your system, I, I used to say, uh, you know, once a dialysis is in your blood, no pun intended there. Exactly, uh, it is true. It, it actually is. It, it's a passion. Well, and, you know, I think people underestimate the opportunities available because I know so many people become patient care technicians and they went on to become a nurse or they're you're managing a clinic. Um, there's so many opportunities once you get that knowledge base because sadly, uh, more people are going on dialysis and, you know, you need more staff. And then secondly, there's a shortage of everything in this country. I mean, from veterinarians to, um, and team kidneys got to get the message out there to get more on our team <laughs> and uh, for the vets of course too and but just everything school teachers I mean I don't I, it seems very strange to me that there's so many shortages and I think too many people want to be a TikTok star I, I don't know that's my analogy <laughs> um, <I don't> <laughs> you, you might be correct like you know something that we've been doing too is we've been going to high schools and doing uh, career days letting them know hey you know when you graduate from high school I haven't given anything when I was a senior in high school because I didn't know what I was going to do when I grew up. and But when I was a senior in high school, if they'd have had the education we have in dialysis today, my gosh, I'd have jumped right on that. And right. it, having a career right out of high school with, you know, competitive pay and benefits, it's, wow, it's, it's a win-win, and especially what you're doing for the patients. Exactly. And, you know, there's so many, you know, resources to help you get through the training. I mean, you know, I think everybody has different ones, but it's not like coming out with a, you know, $60,000 bill, <laughs> you know, in college. <laughs> yes, that's a valid point. You know, I'm, I'm still a PCT after 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been asked to go on to be a nurse, and I, I didn't. I, I chose to stay in the field of because I, there was a point in time I never wanted to leave the floors. But now that I'm old, you know, I'm the regional lead, PCT, so I'm all over the Indiana region, and I get to help people become successful. And how enjoyable that is, knowing that someone was struggling in some of their classes, and I was able to help them pass their tests so they could have a career. Because sometimes these people get overlooked. Right. And if they're overlooked... Yeah, there used to be a commercial saying a mind is a terrible thing to waste. We have a lot of good minds out there that may not be as book smart as, you know, the guy sitting next to you or or behind you, but what they do on the treatment room floor, it just trumps what they can do in the classroom. Well, and I met a technician once. Her kids graduated from high school and went to college, and she was bored and became a technician. She was perfect. She was an empathetic mother. <laughs> that, yeah, that good. Cool. That was very knowledgeable about caring for people, and that's all you really need is, like you said, a desire to learn, empathy, and and show up. I mean, you got to show up, right? Responsibility, uh, I, you know, I have a. Uh, I always like to ask this question because, you know, of course, a lot of people choose transplant for treatment of kidney failure. But if you had to choose a dialysis treatment, which one would you choose? I would probably try peritoneal first, and if that failed, uh, I would probably go the home hemo. Well, and I think it's so interesting because it's, I think over 85% of people are on in-center, and it always perplexes me because I did PD for nine years and home hemo for one and in-center for three, and, uh, you know, anybody listening, you know, if... (laughs) 
learn about home dialysis. It's so much better. You have more control. And, you know, the only bad news is you don't get to see John three times a week. I mean, that, <laughs> that would be a real, that would be a real downer. So, well, um, <laughs> they might start laughing and say, that's why I'm going. Oh, <laughs> oh there we go. Um, you know, to wrap up, um, what is a, do you have a story of a, a patient who really inspired you? Yes, I do. To this day. It still brings tears to my eyes. And that patient was my dad. And he, uh, I just remember he was on the acute settings. And I remember the, the uh, nurse on call was ran, just ran ragged. And uh, I, re- I went to the room to ch- you know visit my dad. And then the nurse came in. And I said, what can I do to help you? Because I knew the nurse. She goes, could you dress that machine? And I did. I dressed that machine. And I found myself doing everything just exactly perfect. Because after all, that was my dad. And so I, I, I made a promise. I will treat every patient just like that's my dad. Well, it is somebody's dad or mom, you know. I mean, it's it's really exactly. true. It I, is. It's, it could be a spouse or anybody. It's, you know, and I'm so glad you said that because I think um, we often, and and a big topic right now in where we live is, you know, on Nextdoor or the new chat Facebook or whatever, is, you know, they keep criticizing homeless people. I mean, and I'm like, you know, oh, they're parked, they're, they're, and I'm like, oh my God, where's your empathy? Where, where, I mean, like, you don't know the story behind this person. Everybody has a story to tell. And it just, you know, they're quick to judge. And you, until you walked in somebody's shoes, you have no idea. And, you know, kindness makes the world go around. It's absolutely doesn't cost anything to be kind. Um, well, so I, I say that on every. Um, we have what's called a PAL program, and, and it's uh, it's you know when you come into a clinic, especially as a new hire, everybody needs a PAL. Right. It's an acronym for something else: a positive ambassador listener. And so uh, everybody needs a PAL because the, the one thing I always I've said the exact words you did is that kindness doesn't cost a cent. And you know how you've heard that expression, a smile is infectious? It is. It is. It's infectious. It is. So it's... we all need to bring that smile every day. And, you know, you know, RSN's mission, when I started RSN in 1993, I had two goals. And I was in my 20s, you know, and I'm like, I want to have a purpose. And, and I'm like... You know, being a long-term survivor, I'd had three transplants, the two first, the first two didn't work, spent all my teenagers on dialysis, and I said, you know, my friends are dying of loneliness, you know, because they felt so alone, and, and I came up with the message of one friend can make a difference. And it is so true in just life. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a healthcare professional or whatever. One friend makes a difference. And then the other little tagline that I came up with in 93 was that illness is too demanding when you don't have hope. And, you know, healthcare professionals, patient care technicians give people who have kidney disease and need dialysis hope every day. So, you know, on behalf of patients, John, I really appreciate your dedication and your support and care. I mean, I wish I could 
just bottle you and just like, uh, and, you know, give everybody a dose of what you got because the uh, the world is a better place because of you. So thank you for joining us today. And for those of you who want to learn about becoming a technician, you know, we're going to have some information, uh, message us and, uh, you know, go to your provider and ask them, hey, I'm interested in, my family's interested in being a technician. Uh, and I'm sure they can hook you up. So thank you, John. And I think, isn't it bedtime for you? I mean... <laughs> it's, it's getting pretty close, yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, have a wonderful day. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.